reading is taken from Luke 17, and you'll find that in the Bibles in front of you on page 1050. Verses 11 to 19. Now, on his way home to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out to him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Good morning, everyone. Got your Bibles there, you can keep them open. Uh, I have, though, got most of the stuff on the screen. But let's pray as we come and look at God's Word. Father, we do thank you that we can be here this morning, and we pray that you would help us to not just understand your Word, but to respond in faith and repentance to it. And so, Father, fill our hearts with your Spirit to enable us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's interesting to note how new, lang- uh, new words appear in our language. Language is something that's ever-evolving. It doesn't stay static. Um, in all sorts of ways, it evolves. Uh, and you just have to think about Shakespearean English to today, and you think, yeah, there's a lot of changes that have taken place. But every year, uh, new words come out. And I don't know if you follow this, uh, but as someone who's interested in language, because I'm up speaking all the time, uh, here's some of the words. Now, one that was interesting last year was ping. Do you know what that means? Uh, it means to electronically contact someone, I'm just going to ping you. So it doesn't mean necessarily email, it could be Facebook, it could be a whole range of uh, ways. But you just say, look, just ping me and I'll be in touch. Uh, that's what the ping means. Uh, I did laugh at one of the other phrases that's come into our language in the last 12 months. And I thought, is it 12 months? And I thought, yes, he was elected just 15 months ago. Fake news. Um, I don't think we really heard about fake news until Donald Trump came into power, and now anything is fake news, apparently, that Donald Trump doesn't like. And um, that's kind of the definition of fake news. It's what Donald doesn't agree with. Um, Anyway, and I saw a a fascinating reflection in terms of a survey in American media uh, about how people actually trust the press. And he's been saying this so long that the just trust in the press in America has just gone down and down. Now, one word that's not new in the past year, but it has in the last 10 years that's caught my attention, is the word entitlement. Now, that as a concept has been around for a long, long time, but it's a phrase or a word that really has taken hold in terms of how people think about our culture today. Uh, I did a bit of um, reading in terms of news stories just about entitlement. Um, Some of the ones that came up, Don Argus, you may know if you're a cricket lover, did a review into the Australian cricket team, uh, and he believes the the ball-tampering crisis that's played out in South Africa in the last month can be traced to last year's bitter play uh, dispute, 
And if you remember 12 months ago, they were on strike. Uh, and there's an assumption of entitlement, according to Don Argus, that framed the players' demands. Now, whether you agree or not, that's another thing. Um, you think back to 214, and I don't know if you remember the budget that came out with um, Joe Hockey. Uh, it was a very austere budget. It was the first budget under Tony Abbott. And it was designed to curb, in their mind, excessive spending, driven, they would say, by a sense of entitlement to social funding. In other words, uh, you can't just keep getting a free lunch every day. Now, whether you agree or not, another story. But what is entitlement? I did like this cartoon. Uh, entitlement. I want, that's not fair. In other words, I'm entitled to what I want. And if you look up the dictionary, it's a noun that speaks of the fact of having a right to something. In other words, I'm entitled to this. The problem is, what we think we're entitled to has just grown over time. Now, I want you to keep that thought in mind as we think about this story that we've had read to us today. We're at the last of our series on Transformed Lives. And what we've tried to do is pick up some of the stories in the Gospels. We looked at the book of Acts last week, where you see the Gospel transforming someone and think about what we learn from that story. Now, when I say story, I'm not saying it's made up. They're true stories of people who've met and engaged the living God in the Gospel. We're going to come this morning to what Rusty read for us, Luke chapter 17. If you've got your Bibles there, it's page 1050. And it's the story of the healing of 10 lepers, not often preached on. Interestingly, for those who've been here for a while, we went through all of Luke's gospel, and I thought we did all the stories, but this one actually got left out in our preaching as we went through chapters 16 through to 19. And it's a fascinating story. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he goes into a village, and 10 men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Well, as we think about transformed lives, I just want to do two things. I want to ask what actually is happening in this story? And secondly, what, is, what, what do we learn for us today in the 20th century, 21st century, for our own lives? And what I want to do is just go through verse by verse and have a think about what is actually happening in this fascinating and powerful story. So have a look with me. Chapter 17, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, travel, Jesus travelled the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, if you're not familiar with Luke's Gospel, from chapter 9 onwards, Luke says that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And that basically is a code word that Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. Uh, it's the place of destiny for him where he will fulfill all of God's plans for him and for the world in terms of his death on a cross for the sins of the world and his resurrection, defeating death. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's travelling there to die. And we read in verse 12 that as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with leprosy. It's not a disease that we tend to have much association with or contact with in our modern world, particularly here in the West in Australia. And the word that's used here for lepers uh, is a broader word than what would be used, uh, if I can say, technically today 
to describe leprosy. Leprosy was um, known originally as Hansen's disease in the 19th century, uh, and it's got a more narrow definition than what is here in the Old Testament. Leprosy, if you read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, uh, and I started reading, and there's just this detailed list of all the skin diseases uh, that you could contact. And leprosy, in a sense, is kind of a catch-cover-all phrase for all of these awful skin diseases. And let me say, it's not the nicest reading in Leviticus 13 to 14. What it meant, though, if you caught leprosy was this. You basically were cut off from society. Uh, They were infectious diseases, And it wasn't because of a lack of compassion, but it was for medical necessity that if you had this awful disease, you literally got cast out and there would be colonies of lepers who lived together. It's a disease that when you saw it, you thought, I want to stay away from it. And so socially, if you had leprosy, you would have to live outside, cut off socially, communally from what was happening. Now, the ostracism wasn't cruel because in that day and age, there was no treatment available for what was a very contagious disease. It was an awful thing to contract. It needed to happen. But you see, what made things worse was, in the book of Leviticus, it basically said, if you've got leprosy, then you are unclean. And so you're not just socially cut off from the community, from your family... You're religiously cut off. You can't access the temple. You can't meet with God and his people together. And so you would have felt like a complete outcast. Socially, communally, spiritually, you're right on the edge of society. You could say the overall effect of the disease was to have a form of living death. And I think if you contracted this, you thought, when is my number going to come up? Maybe that will bring relief. And so we read in verse 12, they stood at a distance. Now, of course, it's obvious, isn't it? They can't come close. They're not allowed to come close. And because they had this despised disease, they could not approach Jesus as he comes into the village. They have to stand back. Now, I want to show you a picture of someone who's got leprosy. And I don't show you this. Um, to be simply sensational and shock you, though it will shock you. Uh, It's an awful thing to come to grips with. I give you the picture visually to impact us in terms of how much this disease would have impacted a person and cut them off from everything. And you can just see there the leper, if I can use those words just visually saying, have mercy on me. Now these lepers, ten of them, they see Jesus and they call out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now they have to use a loud voice because they're at a distance. And they're crying out to him, Lord, Master, can you please have pity on us? All they can do is from a distance call out for God's mercy to be upon them. They don't even cry, heal me. They just say, have mercy on us. Now, we hear these wonderful words. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. Just six words, seven words. Show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed, Luke records. Now, the interesting thing is this. Um, 
the priests were not doctors. They're not medical. They're spiritual. So you go to the priest not to get healed. You weren't allowed to go to the priest unless you were healed. And so you would go to the priest and literally they would give you a kind of a certification actually that you have been healed. And they basically were the gatekeeper for the community to keep it clean in all ways. And so if you've got this skin disease, you're not allowed back into the community. The one who would come and check you to see if you're allowed to come in was the priest. And so they had this very powerful gatekeeping role in the community. And you would only go there if you were healed. And you would go there for readmission. Jesus just says, actually, just go show yourself to the priest. Now, it's interesting. They're not healed at this stage. But in obedience to his word, with faith, you could say, they went and Luke records, they were cleansed. They were healed. They departed unclean, sick, despised. And literally, as they walk, they would have been looking at themselves and their skin is clean. It's incredible. Now, what we have recorded here is this. Verse 15 says, One of them, when he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I want you to imagine that you're one of those lepers. And you've woken up one morning... And, and you've discovered that your skin is changing. And all of a sudden, what was okay, suddenly you roll your sleeve up and you go, oh my goodness. And you ask someone who's close, Can, what is this? And they just move back. I think you might have leprosy. And you're now cast out because of what's happened to you. Maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years that you've been living in this colony. And you're completely isolated. The only people you can talk to are the other lepers. And your existence literally is dependent on others having mercy and providing you with food and whatever else you need. And that's your lot for life. It literally is a death sentence where you're cut off. But you hear in the grapevine about this man who's coming to Israel. And his name is Jesus. And you can't hear it too clearly because you're cut off from kind of normal societal contact. But you hear about this name Jesus and that... This man heals sick people. He's even got the power to raise the dead. And he's this incredibly compassionate guy that they say God is with. And then one day you hear that he's coming your way. And you say to the other lepers, let's go. Let's see if we can meet him. Maybe he can heal us. And then from a distance, you see this group of people coming and they're laughing and they're happy. And, and they're, they're, there's one person there that looks 
maybe that's him. And then you hear it's Jesus. And you get as close as you can. And you call out, Jesus, will you have pity on us? Just have pity on us. And he says, go and show yourself to the priest. And you think, and it's like God is speaking to you. And you get up and you just go. And then all of you look at each other. And you think, what's happened? I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. And I want you to note what this verse says. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back and praised God in a loud voice. One. Is that not one of the most stunning verses in the Bible? For what it says about the human condition? One came back. I mean, ask yourself the question. What would you do if you'd been trapped in this body of leprosy and then with a word, you get healed? One came back. One. And it says in verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And you can just see him running back. Where are you, Jesus? And he's just on his knees. Thank you. I mean, his whole life has been restored. And he just wants to say thank you. And as Luke records, and by the way, he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asks the question, And they're rhetorical questions. There's three of them. And he's speaking to the man who's at his feet. Um, We're not all ten cleansed. (laughs) He knows what's happened. He's healed them. We're not all ten. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? In other words, where is everyone else? Is it only the outsider who's going to respond appropriately? We're not told they're Jewish, but the implication strongly is that the others were Jews. And it's only those, that one, who was a despised person, even more on the outside, who actually responds. And I love what Jesus says. He says to him, rise And go, your faith has made you well. Now, it's interesting, the word there, uh, I'll teach you a little bit of Greek here. The word made well uh, is actually Sazon's name. You might not know that, but uh, her name, Sazon, is from a Greek word, so-so. Your dad's sitting there. He named her. (laughs) And it literally means two things. It can mean heal or saved. It's a great name, Sazon. Salvation. (laughs) And when you read this, what Jesus is saying is not your faith has made you well. I think it's actually the latter. It's your faith has saved you. She's already well. Sorry, she is well too. Um, He's well. (laughs) And he's saying your faith has saved you. 
They've been made well physically. He's come back and thanked him. And he says, actually, your faith has saved you. Rise, go. In other words, you're not just physically restored, spiritually you are now restored. But you've got to ask the question, why has only one come back? And it's interesting the way distance and language works here. Did you note at the start, they're distant. They can't come close. But now he's at his feet. He's so close. And now he's accepted. And he's saved. And what happened? He heard the word and believed. And God worked to heal him. And then he turned around. And he went back. And it's such an illustration of the gospel here. You see, the gospel is a word we hear. That God in Christ loves us and has sent his son to die for us. And purely by his grace, there's nothing we can do. We are just spiritually like the lepers, completely helpless, at a distance. We hear the word of the gospel which says to us, God in Christ has come for you and died for you. And what do you do when you hear that word? You've got to believe it, but you've got to do what the leper, the one leper did. He turns around. And he comes back. And it's such a powerful illustration of repentance. Because you see, this is what the gospel is. It's a message of faith and repentance. That causes a person to overflow with thanksgiving. You see, this man is so thankful. He's praising God. He's thanking Jesus. He's at his feet. It's like, here I am, Lord. Thank you. And wouldn't we be like that if that's what happened to us? Let's think about this story. What does it mean for us today? I want to say two things. Firstly, it's a wonderful picture of the gospel. The one who is completely helpless and completely cut off, purely by grace, is saved. And what does he have to do? Well, there's two things. He needs to believe this word of grace and then needs to turn around and come to Jesus. And that's what he does. And because of that, he says, your faith has saved you. And it reminds me of the great verse from the old hymn, Rock of Ages. I don't know if you're familiar with that for uh, our younger folk, but those who are older may. And I just want to read you one of the verses. Nothing in my hands I bring. In other words, they're empty. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. In other words, I've got nothing. And he's speaking figuratively here about what he's dressed in. Actually, I'm naked before you, God. I've got nothing I can offer you. Naked I come to you for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I. In other words, I'm a wretched sinner and I fly to the fountain. To the Lord Jesus Christ to be washed. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. This man believed Jesus' word. And he was not just healed, he was saved. And as he turned back and repented, he was accepted into God's people. 
And you see, this is the gospel. It's a message of grace where you take hold of God's incredible grace and kindness to us and we repent. You see, the interesting thing is those other nine had some sort of belief. They had to to get healed. They weren't healed when they went to the priest. They actually had to believe Jesus would heal them as they went there. And so as they responded in some sort of faith, they go and they are healed. But only one turned back. And the message of the gospel is a message to believe and to repent. It's what Jesus said when he first announced his arrival on the stage. He said, do you remember? The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. Turn around. Now, how does that impact us today, this message? Um, the gospel message is one that offers us spiritual healing from our state of sin. And it calls us to believe the gospel and to turn around and to repent. And let me just say, that will affect us in all sorts of ways. And you see this picture of this man on his knees saying, here I am. Thank you. Well, let me just say, the gospel changes everything. And I want to talk about one particular issue today that really God has put on my heart as, we've, as I was thinking about this transformation that took place in this man's life. Um, I, I could talk about service and being involved serving because that's one of the ways we respond to the gospel. When you realise what Jesus has done for you, you turn back to Jesus and thank him with your whole life serving. Uh, it could be generous giving and I could talk about that. When you realise what Jesus has done for you and you turn back to Jesus and thank him, you do that partly or one way is by generously giving all you have uh, in the service of the gospel and for needs of others. But one issue I want to talk about is joyful gathering, actually coming to church. Um, let me go back to the start of the message and guess to think about entitlement. The reason I raise that issue is I couldn't help but think of these lepers having, did they have some sense of entitlement? They didn't need to go back to Jesus. Now, I don't know, but what I do know is this in the West, in, the West, in our Western culture, there's a strong sense of entitlement that has in a sense, crept into how we think about life. Where we think, and I want to say this, uh, we are entitled to be happy. It's a peculiar issue that strikes the West. Uh, those from third world nations realise that actually that's a privilege. That's a blessing. It's not an entitlement. But in our Western culture, I think we think we are entitled to be happy. And when you mix with that Western individualism, we're entitled to do what we want, how we want, and use our time every which way that we want. Is that not the culture we live in? It's funny, I didn't give this message at 8 o'clock, I gave a different message because I think for the older folk, it's not something that's been part of their culture so much. It's a thing that is rising in our current culture because of the individualism and the way it works. That I'm entitled to be happy, I'm entitled to do what I want. Now, think about it, friends, how does that affect us as Christians? I think one of the ways you see this is how we actually relate together as a community. You see, as Christians, we believe we've been forgiven our sins. As Christians, we believe we've been saved from hell. As Christians, we believe that this world is actually not our home. I'm doing a funeral for one of our great saints on Wednesday, and they've picked a magnificent passage, Romans 8, for me to preach on. Can't wait. Though it will be terribly sad, there's a great sense of joy about someone who's served the, world, uh, the Lord so well and he's gone home to be with the Lord. 
As Christians, we believe we can take nothing from this world. Let me say, friends, when you get in the box, there ain't nothing going with you. Just in case you're wondering. As Christians, we believe our goal is now to serve our God and to use our time and talents and wealth for his great endeavor. Because you see, we are so thankful for how he saved us. Just like this Samaritan was so thankful for how he was healed. He's at his, the feet of the master saying thank you. And that's the posture of the Christian. And we meet each week to thank God, to remind ourselves that we're saved by God's grace. We meet each week to reorientate ourselves to the gospel and to correct our thinking that is just soaked in the entitlement thinking of our culture and to say, actually, I'm not entitled to be happy. I am blessed to be saved. We meet to encourage each other and build each other in the faith. We, build it, we meet together to welcome new people to the family of God. We meet together because God is number one in our life. And we're actually entitled to nothing, though we've been blessed with everything in Christ. That's the great irony of the gospel. We're entitled to nothing, blessed with everything in Christ. And so we meet each week to say thank you. Thank you for saving me. Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, if you go to cultures and countries where Christians are persecuted for their faith, do you know one of, the, one of the things they will not stop doing? Even though it can be at enormous cost to them, they won't stop meeting together to worship because it's their lifeblood. Because they realise how important it is that you stay together as God's people. And at enormous cost Christians meet in countries where they are persecuted for their faith to this day. It may even mean the loss of their life. But what they won't give up is the incredible privilege and blessing and responsibility of being together as God's people, week in, week out, as often as they can. Because you see, it's just a fundamental response of faith and repentance that you meet together as God's people, to do all those wonderful activities, to sing, to pray, to hear, to encourage, to build up. But when you get to the Western world, you get the exact opposite. Talk to any pastor and they will say to you, one of the big issues is the way church is just an option in Christians' lives today. Uh, it's something where it's become a commodity. How was church? Was it good? We'll give it a rating. Yes, the music was good today, actually. No, the music wasn't too good. Preacher, oh, he was okay. Rather than seeing this is the group of people that we just do life with, we worship with, and it's a priority for us that we engage together as God's people in response to his grace and mercy showered upon us. Friends, it's a problem here at St. Matthew's in some of our congregations. Um, one of the things we do is we take the role, not because we're trying to spy on people's lives, because we want to know if people are here, and if they're not here, you know, are they sick? Are they struggling? And it's astounding how many people are on the roll compared to how many come regularly. And I know there are some who do come every week, and it's wonderful, but I think for some, regularly means once a month. And I would encourage you, what does it mean for you to actually believe the gospel and repent? Because what the gospel says is this, uh, God is for you in Christ, take hold of that by grace 
and turn around and now live for him as number one. And let that reorientate all of your expectations and all of your activities in life. We are not entitled to anything, but we are blessed in Christ with everything. And what we need to do is lead lives that reflect that gospel reality. That by faith we take hold of the promises of God that are showered upon us by God's grace. And we turn our lives around and we now live for him. And friends, I want to encourage you, church, church, there'll be a revival the day when everyone is here at 5 to 10. (laughs) Because we're so excited about what's going to start at 10. And we're so thankful to God for how he saved us and showered his mercy upon us that we just want to fall down and praise you and thank you, Jesus, for all you've done in our life. I want to stop and give us a moment to think and to pray as we finish up. And I want you to ask yourself the question, are you like the nine who says, thank you for doing all this stuff in my life, Lord, and you've just gone on your way? Or are you like the one who realised that God in his infinite mercy has had compassion on you in the Lord Jesus Christ and forgiven your sins and given you eternal life and given you every blessing in Christ and you've turned around now to say, I'm yours, Lord. Thank you. I want to serve you with my whole life. May that be reflected in everything I do. Let's have a moment to be quiet. And Dave's just going to play a bit of quiet music and then I'm going to pray for us. So let's have some time just to be quiet and to respond in prayer. Father, we just thank you today for all your mercy we have received at the hand of the Lord Jesus. Pray for people this morning who might not know your grace at work in their lives. Father, by your spirit, help them to know that you love them, you're for them in Christ, that his death covers their sins, his resurrection gives them hope for eternity. For those who are struggling with repentance, to actually turn around and face you and walk towards you and serve you and commit to you. Lord, may they see you standing there, their Heavenly Father calling you to come home, calling them to come home. Father, may we be like the one who in response to your grace turns around and comes and falls at the feet of the master and says, thank you, here I am. 
Father, here we are. May we be your people. May we serve you with joy. May we gather with gladness. May we be transformed into your likeness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, at the end of the service, if you would like prayer because today you need to turn your life around, I'd invite you to come.